Welcome to Career and Leadership Real Talk, the no-nonsense guide for ambitious managers who want to have more impact and progress their career. I'm Pamela Langan, a job search coach and expert CV writer specialising in helping frustrated professionals land the jobs and pay rises they know they deserve. And I'm Jackie Jagger, a leadership and mindset coach specialising in helping newly promoted and new to role leaders to avoid the dickhead trap and lead with confidence. Between us, we've helped hundreds of leaders and managers to find new roles, take ownership of their careers, and handle the challenges that job searches and leadership responsibility inevitably bring. And now we're joining forces to share with you what we know has worked for our clients. Hello and welcome to episode 11. This week, we are talking about five mistakes to avoid at interview. And this is probably going to be one of my most favorite podcasts so far. So we will get stuck straight in. What was our number one? So the top mistake, I would say, is that people don't listen when they are being asked questions. And as coming from a hiring manager perspective, this so my role typically has been either as hiring manager or consulting with businesses and partnering with hiring managers. So that's typically the side of recruitment that I've been on. And this is so common. Yeah, this is my biggest bugbear. And when we were going through the top five and then we were putting them in order of which is the most annoying one. Yeah, I suppose that is that. that I suppose it's annoying for the interviewer because you've got to then listen to somebody, you know, clearly not answering the question properly. But it's also a shame for the person being interviewed because it that's your opportunity to show what you can deliver and answer that question properly. But because you go off on a totally different tangent, you miss that opportunity to provide that information and show that you're the right person for the job. So for me, like listening is key. And as as an interviewer, it is it's quite hard to listen to an answer to a question when somebody has has gone completely wrong. And then I suppose as well, you want to have that connection with the person who's being interviewed. But when they're going off in the wrong direction, I suppose it's hard, isn't it, to to maintain that kind of the positive body language and the positive facial expressions because you know they're not making the best job of it. So if you can listen to what you're being asked, which is probably, I think, the most it's a difficult thing you can do in an interview because you're so wound up with nerves, aren't you? And I was just going to say, it's easier said than done. I yeah. think the reason that this happens is because, well, there's a number of reasons, I think, behind it. So one, I think, is people, if candidates are interviewing in a few different places, they're often asked similar but different questions. And so it can trigger, if you've done your prep work and you're ready to go to interview, you hear a couple of keywords and it's very easy to go down the track of answering the question that you thought somebody asked rather than the question they actually asked, particularly when nerves are at play. And I think it's just that having a breather and just checking in, did they ask the question that I'm about to answer? And it's totally fine as a candidate if you're not 100% certain to ask for clarification. So if somebody has asked you a question and you're not quite sure of the angle that they're getting at, do you know what? A lot of hiring managers, recruiters, interviewers 
have been given a standard set of questions or have written a set of questions doing the best they can. And that set of questions might not be 100% clear. So this is your opportunity and it's well worth seeking that clarification so that you know what you're answering is the question that they wanted to ask you. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And another thing as well, what I always advise my clients to do is sometimes with competency-based questions, you can get asked the question in two parts and you'll start off because you're so focused on that first bit, like what do they want to know? So you start answering the first part and then all of a sudden you realize there was a second part and it just totally throws you off finishing the first part. And then you think, and I don't, I don't know what that last bit was. And some people will ask, and that's definitely the right thing to do. Can you just repeat that question? And some people will just carry on because they'll feel so embarrassed that they've forgotten or that they didn't listen properly or whatever the reason was they didn't catch that last bit that they'll just move on. And it's just such a wasted opportunity to, to be able to answer that. And whether, in my opinion, whether an interviewer is experienced or inexperienced, if somebody asks you for clarity, you totally welcome that. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I would say as well, from the interviewer perspective, if you aren't necessarily somebody who interviews all the time, then I think you can feel like you've got to stick exactly to the script. And if somebody does make this mistake and seems to be answering a slightly different version or they answer the first part but not the second then I would definitely always encourage to actually clarify that with the candidate and to say okay thank you can I just phrase that slightly differently or you know what I meant was this is there anything additional that you'd like me to add or to remind them if it was a question in two parts it's not great practice when you're interviewing to have a question in two parts for that exact reason it can be really confusing for candidates but I know that there's lots of interview scripts out there and lots of people that do have those and it's very easy to end up asking a question in two parts so if you're on the interview side and you are interviewing a candidate it feels like they've made that mistake then I think it's just totally okay to offer that clarification if you feel like kind of they've started off well but gone off on a tangent or it seems like they haven't really fully understood it because what you don't want is to miss out on talent just because you didn't offer that clarification yeah definitely I think that's a really good advice and I think as well those questions that are in two parts whether when you're not an experienced interviewer or when you're not somebody who interviews regularly, then those questions can really throw you. But actually, when you look at those questions, the first part is generally the question that they want the answer to. And the second part is the bit that then goes into almost the star story format. It would start off, for example, tell us about a time when, tell us about a time when you've delivered something. And then the second part of that question is generally, how did it go? What was the result? And they're the answers that you're going to give within that star format. If you're answering a competency-based question and, you know, if you listen to that question, you'll be able to pick that up because if they want to know what you did within that situation and how that went and what the result was, then you know that you're going to answer that question in its entirety if you follow the star format and take them through the whole process of the situation, the task, the action and the result. And I think that's probably worth just picking up on because there will be people listening who are like, what the hell, what is this star <laughs> format? And 
again, I think if you're not aware of that, then that can hold you back. So our second mistake is not getting the right level of depth to your answers. So either go in minute detail and giving way more depth or just giving really high level and not giving enough. And particularly for competency questions, then the star format and using that as a way to prepare for interview and prepare for the questions that you might be asked is a really useful framework that not only helps you to prepare, but also helps you to get the right level of depth. So for people that aren't familiar with it, who don't know what the star format is, just talk us through what it is and what that actually means in terms of preparing for interviews. Okay, so the star format is basically, it's an acronym and it stands for situation. So the situation that you were in, T is the task. So what was was your task? What was your objective? The A is the action that you took within that situation and the R is the result. So effectively, what you're doing is you're taking somebody on a journey. So if somebody says, tell me about a time when, you can say, okay, a a time when, you know, and you can go into your answer. So you can then say, okay, so the situation I was in was this. My my task was to do this. The action that I took was this. And that's where you detail the action that you took. And that's, for me, the most important part. And then the result was, and then you talk about the result. Now, I think people go wrong a lot with Stan. I don't know what you think about this, Jackie, but I hear so many people, especially when I'm doing mock interviews with people or when I'm interviewing, I've done quite a few panel interviews recently. And when they get to the R, to the result, they say, and everything worked out well. And, you know, it all, it was all fine. Everyone was happy. And that was the end of the project or the task or whatever. And it's such a massive, massively missed opportunity because if you can say, and the result was, and if everybody was happy, then obviously you can mention that everybody was happy. But actually, what was the impact on the business? What, whatever you did, there won't always be things that have got money values attached or numbers attached, but you can always talk about the impact that specific thing has made. So if you were doing something that was related to like employee engagement, then definitely you can say, and after when we finished, everyone was really happy and everyone was more engaged but actually what was the impact on the business well the impact on the business was that they had a more motivated and engaged workforce which meant productivity's level levels rose that it meant that ultimately through the productivity we were making more sales and the knock-on effect then is obviously going to come down to some kind of money value or you know an increase in something so it's a real opportunity when you're talking through that answer to really give that impact that detail at the end of it as well don't just rush through it loads of people rush through it and think I've just got to get to the end of this because it's such a it's such a big story to get through and it can be quite clunky or seem quite clunky when you start with it but it feel is like, really I feel like I don't know whether you see this but I feel like people almost run out of steam with star it's like situation and task yep here's all the detail, here was the situation and this was the task or these were the tasks that I had to do. And then action seems to get a bit less detail and then result was just like, and everyone lived happy ever after. (laughs) 
And it's such a, it's such a missed opportunity, even with the action. If you can articulate what action that you took, then they can start visualizing you in their role, delivering for them. What can you really deliver for them? And it's a really easy way to stand out from other candidates because if you can give that detail around what you delivered and what the business impact was in terms of the result, then, you know, nobody else is going to do that. Everybody who hasn't listened to this podcast now. (laughs) It's so true. And I think that's the thing I would say to people, keep your situation and task descriptions to just the bare minimum, enough context that the interviewer, someone outside of your own circumstances and situation understands. That's all they need. They just need the bare bones of a situation and what task was being completed. The action, I always say to people as well, think about your thought process that led to those actions and describe how you got from this was a situation I was in, this is, a, this is what I was tasked with. And describe the thought process as to how you came up with that plan of action. Because people will talk about one or two things that they did, but they won't necessarily explain these were some of the options I considered. Or the reason I chose this was because in the past this had been tried and this didn't work. Again, in terms of missed opportunity, what doesn't always happen is that people don't always show their workings for want of a better description when it comes to the action and so if I give a specific example a common competency-based question might be to talk about some version of give us an example of a time when you've had to um you know win somebody over or change their mind you know a common question because influence and ability to have some form of stakeholder management is really key across pretty much any management role And what often will happen is that people will talk about, I was on such and such project team and this was happening and it will be a very specific example of having had an idea that they presented and that got taken on board and that was that. And what they don't then do is talk about, for example, the fact that then led to developing a working relationship with that particular stakeholder that then resulted in them being invited to be on a different project team. Or they don't talk about the fact that particular idea was then implemented in a different area of the business and led to cost savings of X. So it's that element of being really kind of specific to just that individual thing is where people miss the opportunities. And if you're ready for that question, then that's when you can say, okay, and what else happened because of that? So why did I take that action? What other action could I have taken? Why didn't I take it? How can I articulate that succinctly? And then how can I show what the outputs were, like you say, not just on that particular day at that particular time, but also the impact of your working relationships and how you operated and how you were seen within that particular business. Yeah, definitely. I think giving that depth within the action section and then carrying that on into the results section does really make you stand out from the other candidates. And I always say putting the meat on the bones because everybody is going to rush through those answers. They just will because nobody likes being interviewed. 
nobody enjoys being interviewed and you just want to get from A to B because it's not a natural way to talk or to have a conversation or to tell a story. Although within a story, you would have a beginning, a middle and an end. And I suppose with the star, I always see it as setting the scene and then you've got your beginning as in this is the task that I was tasked to do. You've got your middle because you're going to talk about the action and then you've got your ending where you're going to talk about all of the great business impact. If you reframe it into just a different way to tell a story, then it makes it so much easier to to use it in a way that allows you to tell a compelling story that demonstrates your skills and experience in a better way. Perfect. So moving on to the third one then. So the third mistake that we reckon that people make is they're not prepared for that question of tell me about yourself or talk me through your CV. That kind of very open question that often happens at the start of an interview and people go, panic. (laughs) Nobody is ever prepared for this question. And I think this is like my most favorite question because this allows you, it gives you some space to calm your nerves and to just get that little bit of space before you launch into the, the proper questions. And it gives you an opportunity to, to put you head and shoulders above the other candidates because what you're going to do is rather than give them war and peace and talk about when you finish school and what pet you've got and giving them all the detail that we hear a lot from people in the tell me about yourself question. Where Read you your live. CV out, talk about every job you've done since you yep. were 16. <laughs> every job every pet and people do this and I think for me I did a post on this on LinkedIn a couple of days ago and what I said is you should really be basing this tell me about yourself answer on the job description what do they want to know what are they asking what is the purpose of that job because I think when we were talking earlier I used an example of if you work in marketing and it's a marketing role then you might want to kick it off with you've worked in marketing for the last 10 years and then go into more of the detail about what they want. If they're looking for somebody who is really good at creating content, then you might then say, I'm really passionate about creating content that engages and increases visibility and so on. So you can talking them through the key points and the purpose of their role. But then what you're doing is you're highlighting all of the things you're good at to straight away. They're like, wow, this person has taken all of our boxes. And the worst thing with the tell me about yourself question is when as an interviewer you're kind of like waiting for the person to stop and they don't stop and they carry on so if you keep it to this is a brief intro about me this is when I first got into this particular industry or this type of role or whatever it is and then get into what they're looking for and then I always say it's a really nice way to finish it off by saying you know I'm really excited to be here today and learn more about your company and more about this role. And then you just kind of stop. And that almost that kind of silence that people also find really uncomfortable, but is a really good way of them giving them a second to digest everything you've just said and then to carry on the interview as well. Definitely. And yeah, I've I've been the person that's been recruiting and regretted asking this question. And on the one hand, I really feel for candidates because, again, it's often driven by nerves. They're not sure what they're supposed to say. They don't want to miss anything out. And definitely talking you through every role on their CV is a common thing that comes up at that stage. And what I would say is, as a recruiter, 
you've already read the CV. You wouldn't have invited somebody for interview if there wasn't at least something from their experience and application that suggested that they're worth having a conversation with. So what you really want with this question is for that to come alive, for you to get a sense of who is this person that's sat in front of me? What are they capable of bringing? What kind of character are they? How do they communicate? How, you know, can I sense that feeling that this is somebody that I want to ask these next set of interview questions to? And if you can do that with that question, then that's when you get that interview off. And I think it's absolute genius what you said about get a hold of the job description, pick out whether have a conversation with the recruiter if it's through a recruitment agency. What do you know about the person that they want? What have they said is the most important skills or contribution for this role? And really pull out the things that you are passionate about or that you enjoy or that you can make a contribution on that will really get their ears pricked up and listening. And that's not complicated and it's not difficult, but because people don't know to do it, they have that panic moment. And I know some really quite senior candidates have just been like, oh God, I hate that question. We're talking sort of director level where it's just, oh God, don't ask me that. And they're, they're fine once they get into a full-on interview and they actually don't mind that much. But that one question... It's just, oh God, please don't ask me that. And I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. Highlight the stuff that relates to what they're looking for. End it by saying you're really excited for this opportunity and to find out more about it. Balls back in their court. And we're talking probably, depends how long the interview is scheduled for, but I would say anything between kind of 90 seconds and three minutes. Do not be talking for five, 10 minutes. Monologue (laughs) style. Definitely don't want to do that. But I think just before we move on to the next one, just to talk about the recruiters and working with the recruiters and using the recruiter as a way of understanding what the company are looking for. Because I think lots of people forget that as a recruiter, recruitment is ultimately a sales job. You're selling candidates to companies and recruiters get paid when they get commission. Lots of recruiters will be on a base pay, but they'll make their real money through commission. So they want to place you. It's in their best interest to place you. But lots of people hold back from asking the recruiters questions. But if you're asking them the questions and saying, what do you know about this client or this employer? To them, the employer is the client. They will have had a conversation with that client. They will have took the job description from that client. They'll know, they'll have built up some level of rapport with that client to get the job onto their job board. That is a great opportunity for you to understand from the recruiter, what were they like? What, you know, what did they say they wanted? What qualities are they looking for in a person? And you can really use that to your advantage. But the recruiters, depending on how experienced the recruiters are, they won't always offer that information up. So it's really good if you can ask for that information to give you that insight and you can then base the tell me about yourself question on that and also some of the other questions as well perfect so fourth one then so our fourth one then is where you're not interviewing them and you just there ask me the questions given the answers you're not really showing any passion and I think there's two elements for me to this so one is that lack of passion and the other is that element of you don't want a candidate that seems desperate. If a candidate seems really desperate, then as a recruiter, that feels suspicious. It's, okay, why are they so desperate? 
what's wrong with where they are? What is it that makes this the only opportunity that they're so keen on? And as a candidate, if you come across as really desperate to get this job, any job, I've got to move away from where I am, then that doesn't present you in the same light as somebody. And this is why you'll often hear that thing of people saying, oh, it's easier to get a job when you've got one. And I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think it's more about the energy that people can sometimes have when they're in that space. So how do you see it show up in interviews when people are not delivering passion and not necessarily seeing that as a two-way process? I suppose when... In the past when I've interviewed people and I also see it from clients as well when I'm doing like mock interviews and doing interview prep with them, they're they're not really engaged in the process because they're just going through the motions and it's really clear to see the difference between someone who's really passionate and excited because this is like their dream job and this is the next step in their career and you can see, you can almost see that excitement pouring out of them whereas somebody who's just going through the motions who's maybe having a hard time in their current position or is maybe just desperate for any job because they've been out of work for a period of time you can see it in their body language you can see it in their face the answers that they give very like monotone there's no real depth to the answers they're just going through the motions and it's almost like they're just trying to tick the boxes and that it's really hard as an interviewer to kind of pull anything out of them and then you get to the point where you just think this person doesn't really want to be here and I see this a lot when people are in situations where their partners are pushing them to go for the next role, when their partners are pushing them to go for the promotion because they want to have this better lifestyle and all the rest of it. What's your experience of that? And interesting, because I would just bring into mind, as you were describing an example from this year, where I was interviewing on behalf of a client for a senior role, and the person that had come forward, there was this real sense that what they wanted was the next job title and the pay rise that went with it. And it didn't feel that there was a sense of passion about the company or about the role specifically. It felt that, and I didn't get the sense it was driven by, you know, pressure from a partner or what have you, but it very much felt like you would have said yes to any job the recruiter put in front of you that offered you the next job title that you're you know and I think if you're someone who is ambitious and who wants to get on that's an easy mistake to make it's an easy trap to fall into is to feel like oh I may as well go for it what's the worst that can happen and in reality you've still got to find those right opportunities and you've still got to want that opportunity as opposed to just wanting the next thing Hiring managers want people that want to be on their team. Recruiters want people that want to be there and that are going to stay there and are going to thrive in that environment and that culture. People don't want to recruit somebody who just wants a meal ticket, a next opportunity, or to be away from where they are. Yeah, no, totally agree with that. And then we've got our final one, haven't we? This is our favorite one. I reckon we could have done an entire episode just on this one. So this is another situation where I'll be lighting the blue touch paper and setting Pam off. So one of the big mistakes, and this is controversial sometimes when we talk about this, because one of the big mistakes that we see people make is asking for feedback 
when they've not been successful. And that conventional wisdom says, oh, you should always ask for feedback and you should be open to feedback and it should help you to develop ready for the next thing. So why are you not on that page, Pam? What's your beef with feedback? So my beef with interview feedback. So I just think when you are interviewed, you don't know how experienced that interviewer is. It's very rare that you get a really experienced interviewer as, as a hiring manager because it's not something that you do a lot. Now, when you are interviewing somebody, what you're doing is almost sussing them out to see, will this person fit with the team? Will I be able to manage this person? Do we connect? Is this person listening to me? You're going through all of these things in your mind. And if you don't offer them that position, then that is because something hasn't clicked with you. And they might have given you all the right answers. Like I've interviewed hundreds of people who have thought, do you know what? They answered those questions textbook, like perfect. But I don't think that they're the right fit for the company or the team. And so then it's okay, well, that person's going to ask for feedback. So it's really difficult then because you're really restricted as to what feedback you can give as an interviewer these days. So then you go, oh, maybe you've not got enough experience. Maybe you didn't do this. Maybe you didn't do that. And you start looking for things to, to give us feedback because somebody's asked for feedback. And then, you know, on the other side of that person, is then going to start thinking about how they change them things. So what can happen is if you go to a number of unsuccessful interviews and you get all the feedback and you start making all of those changes, like you just totally lose sense of who you are. Now, if you are having a number of unsuccessful interviews, then you need to start asking yourself, okay, so where am I going wrong? Do I need help? Do I need an interview coach? Do I need you to sit down with somebody and go through my answers, somebody who understands how to interview. And that's key because if you go through the answers with your partner, they're going to say, oh yeah, that sounds great. And then like, where does that leave you? So it's a really difficult one. So my, my stance on it is don't ask for interview feedback. And every time I post that on LinkedIn, I get trolled (laughs) because it's very controversial and people go absolutely crazy. And last time I posted about it, I had loads of DMs telling me that I was disgraceful for suggesting this because it's really useful. I also had a couple of people who who interview regularly, apparently, and provide the feedback. So it was awful of me to even suggest this because they always give all of this great feedback. And I was like, you're in the minority. So it's really nice that you do that for people. But again, that is just your perception. So it's not always based, skill-based or experience-based. It's based generally I feel on perception but what do you think I just go on all day about this so for me one of the things that I think is useful for people to consider is one it is not like that person that you are asking to give you feedback that isn't their job their job is not to help you prepare for other interviews so if you are asking for feedback what you're effectively doing is opening the floor to them to critique you. You don't get chance normally, so you can. And I've certainly given interview feedback before where I've had a conversation with people, but very often hiring managers, recruiters do not have time to have a meaningful conversation and help you with your interview prep skills. So what happens is, even if you get that feedback, what you're then doing is turning up to your next interview with a different interviewer in a different company for a different role, more prepared for the interview that you went to last time. 
So what you're doing is turning up to a different opportunity and showing up better matched to the opportunity that you've already lost out on. And an example for me personally, when I was interviewing years ago, is I interviewed for two different roles within the space of two weeks. One piece of feedback was that I was too strategic. The next, that I was too operational. What, firstly, what do those words even mean? So strategic versus operational. These were going for senior operational roles where presumably you need to be both strategic and operational. And so I was told these two different things. What that actually meant was probably for the first one, we had a candidate was more operational in focus who we thought was a stronger fit. That's probably what that actually meant more specifically and vice versa for the second opportunity. And I feel like it, it just, you're opening yourself up to denting your confidence when you ask for feedback because it will be generalized. And the other thing I'm very mindful of with this is specifically with work I do, there's a lot of companies that are smaller and growing who are recruiting people. And what often happens is that this is a new role or the structure might be tweaked or changed, responsibilities might be tweaked or changed. And what then happens is they think they know what they want. They interview five people, nothing wrong with any of those candidates, but what happens is they then start to refine and think, ah, hadn't thought of it that way. What I actually need is more of this or less of this. So it's not that what you did was wrong, but just through that process of seeing a number of different candidates, they've actually shifted their own mindset around what it was that they need and what they need somebody to be able to bring to that role. So why would you risk knocking your own confidence by asking for feedback? Yeah. And that is exactly why I think you shouldn't ask for interview feedback because it will just knock your confidence. And I find that people who regularly ask for interview feedback when it's not going in their direction is that they get they each within with each interview it dents their confidence even more so it's like stop worrying about what other people think and you just focus on providing the information that shows how you add value within that interview completely yeah so there you go. Well, our LinkedIn profiles are in the show notes. So if people want to connect with us and troll us and tell us that we're totally wrong. And you know what? That's if there will be people out there who will say, actually, I've had really useful feedback. So if you know that you've got broad shoulders and you can take that feedback and you find it helpful, go for your life. But yeah. what I would say is if you feel a bit wobbly anyway, you're finding your job search is not happening as quick as you want or the roles you know, just don't seem to be there. The last thing you need is to risk anything that is going to dent your confidence. And if you do need support, then Pam, obviously that's one of the services that you provide is helping people to prepare, do mock interviews and be able to go into interviews confidently without making these mistakes. And that's an objective view. So it's talking about the skills of how you show up to interview rather than a generic, you to this or not enough of that. Fab. So would love to know what people think of this, whether you agree, disagree, mindful that most of our listeners will be people who are managing and are in the situation where they're recruiting potentially as well as interviewing. 
So yeah, do get in touch with us, drop us messages on LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you, hear what you think. And as ever, if you have enjoyed the episode, then please do and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next time with an episode of how to take ownership of your own onboarding. So this is looking for those of you who have got through the interview hurdle, have got yourself a new job, whether that be an internal promotion or moving on to a new business. And we're going to be sharing our top tips for how you can make sure that you hit the ground running, even if there isn't an onboarding plan in place for you. Catch you next time.